This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. So let's continue our discussion about small business and just business period. Doesn't even have to be small. Can be medium size, can be absolutely massive. Joining us right now is Julie Kwasinski, who is the Director of Provincial Affairs in Ontario with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Julie, we talked a couple of weeks ago, and things things weren't fantastic, and now we're facing an extension of restrictions. What kinds of conversations do you expect that to bring? Well, thanks for having me on the show again, Mike, to share our members' views. And if I could just pick up on your earlier point, because it's a great starting point. We still don't even have any kind of quote-unquote official notification as to when the stay-at-home order will be extended or if it will be extended. Hmm. So you're hearing in the media... May 20th extension to June 2nd, yet no one from government, they've alluded to it, but there's no confirmation. So how is anybody supposed to plan, and where is the reopening plan? So, yeah, Especially I mean, when we're talking about businesses that have to bring in goods, services, employees. This reminds me of conversations that we've had with school boards where people would you know, get a little bit antsy as to, well, where am I sending my kids or why isn't the board saying anything? The board wasn't saying anything because they were finding out from the media what was going on too because that's the first time the government had told anybody. Yeah, we need to see some leadership, Mike. There's no other way to put it. And I hate to be your daily dose of doom and gloom, but I can tell you our members, 38,000 in Ontario and 95,000 across Canada, mostly small and medium-sized businesses, they are literally at their breaking point with COVID restrictions. We need to replace lockdowns with rapid testing and fresh grants with all the gaps fixed. This is ridiculous. This has been going on and on and on. And what makes it worse is where is the funding? So if the government does come out and make an announcement with an extension, I hope somebody's listening, they should come forward. It's the right thing to do with another round of funding, round number three for the Ontario grant, plus extended eligibility for the grant. Some of these businesses, and I'll just give you an example, how about restaurants, indoor dining, City of Toronto? You'll never guess how many days they've been locked down, or like totally closed. Mm. I mean, we just talked with Mike Smith, and yeah, I mean, it's it's been months, months. So you've got it down to days? days. Over 330 days. And that's from when to when? Because that's almost a year. Yeah, I think uh, if I've, I, I see, it, I don't have the chart in front of me, but we add up the different blocks, like when they were allowed to be open and then closed. Again. Okay, so since restrictions started, 331 yeah, days. Exactly. Since restrictions started last March, over 330 days closed to indoor dining restaurants in Toronto. So if you're a restaurateur and your average profit margin in Ontario is 3.5% during regular times, how are you supposed to survive? And even with takeout and being allowed to sell alcohol, it's just not the same because you get people to come in. And I remember doing an interview with the Toronto Sun on this where the Maple Leafs just reach a fantastic milestone, their first division title in 21 years, oh. yet 
the restaurants were closed to indoor dining. Can you imagine how much revenue was lost? Yeah, can alone? you imagine what the city of Toronto would have been like? This is the first time since 2000. Yes. No, you're exactly right, and we're heading into NHL playoffs in the next couple of weeks. And sure, you, you've got restaurants looking at that saying, do you know how jam-packed I would have it on every screen, on every TV? So you've talked about some of the government funding that has existed. Julie, if we were to, to add up money that has been lost and government funding, how how much do you think most businesses would would be getting in relation between one and the other? Great question. So first, let's figure out, we actually did a survey and we asked our members in Ontario if they had COVID debt to tell us how much. And then we were able to figure out an average number per small business of COVID debt only. It worked out to a whopping 208000 So if you compare that, there are different like federal programs, but the problem is that not everybody qualified. So for example, the federal programs were still fighting to have new businesses included all these months moving forward, still fighting for that. But if you look at the Ontario Small Business Support Grant alone, the most you can get, assuming you're eligible, and a lot of people aren't, are for, is $40,000. So if you're closed, the bills are still piling up. That's not mm-hmm. changing. But you're not generating revenue. And if you are, I mean, you have curbside pickup for some people, but for others, they have been totally closed. And I know I mentioned this on your program before, where you have businesses like amusement parks and buffet-style dining that literally have never opened since last, last March. And I always go back to the point, you know, sometimes business owners will say, you know, I made a a mistake and uh, my business didn't survive. But let's remember that these are government-mandated lockdowns. The government is forcing people to close. They're at their wits' end. Why are they not looking at... I, I get the feeling, Mike, that what's happening is we're just waiting, waiting, waiting for everybody to be vaccinated and doing nothing in between. When we have tools available to us, there were some... Some actually good news on rapid testing this week, where you can go to certain shoppers' drug mart locations in Ontario hotspots and get tests for only 50 cents per test. And some local chambers of commerce also have these test kits available. So why not, hypothetically, let's say you're a hair salon, let's let you open to a certain capacity, whether it's 10, 15, 25%, the hair salons are desperate, they take anything, and say, okay, if you want to remain open, you have to do this. You have to test your stylus to prevent a symptomatic spread. Here's a place where you go for your tests, your shoppers, only 50 cents per test, and let them be open on the condition that they're testing their employees. Why not look at that as an option? Because what we're seeing now is just this waiting game and, and nothing happening in between. Where's the leadership to do something else, to think outside of the box that's still safe when we have the tools available to us, like rapid tests? To me, this isn't rocket science, and it's really, really frustrating. And we still don't know, like I said, we don't know anything about the stay-at-home order that's official. We don't see a reopening plan. We're still waiting for the portal where businesses can get reimbursed for the paid sick days. We're still waiting for a promised tourism and hospitality grant that was announced on March 29th. And every single day I'm dealing still with 
the grant issues. I just don't understand how this could still be happening when the grant closed on April 7th. People aren't getting their money. People have been waiting since January. They're having portal issues. They got the first round of funding, not the second round. They were first told they were approved and then minutes later told in another email they were denied. This is just, this is what I'm putting up with day in and day out. And these are government mistakes. And it's interesting how... We are the ones that are taking the calls from businesses, Mike. You know why? Because when they call the government hotline and send an email, nobody responds, but they reach out to us and we respond. And that shouldn't be the way it is. It's the government program. We shouldn't be, as an organization, put in a position where we are defending and answering for a government program. Seriously, I can't write the check. I can't approve you. (laughs) It's yeah, and, and the way things change, I mean, you're giving the information that you have. What if the government has decided to change something, and the next day the information you provide is not what it was because that afternoon as you were giving the information, they were making a change? Yeah, and that's I don't it, get it. definitely. Communication is an issue. Definitely hmm. an issue. And I don't see why they are waiting to the last minute again. If this government is going to extend this stay-at-home order... Why are they waiting? They should just do it, and they should open up their wallets and announce a third round of funding and bring us a plan at the same time as to how they're going to reopen and allow businesses like those poor hair salons and beauty places to open with rapid testing. This is, verg- this is verging on the point of, of ridiculousness. We all know that we have the health issues, but we've also been at this now, Mike, for over a year. We should have learned that there are alternatives by now to lockdowns. We have other things other than vaccinations that are out there. We've got to use all the tools in the toolbox. Let these businesses open. How are they going to pay their bills with no revenue or little revenue and no extended government support? It's not possible. They're not magicians. We're talking with Julie Kwasinski from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And Julie, even hearing you say rapid tests, if we go back a year ago, we were doing interviews on this show with the makers of rapid tests going, when can these get here? How much will they cost? And at first they were going to be 15 bucks and you knew the price would come down. It's shocking to think that we've gone through as much time as we have, and these haven't really been a part of our arsenal when it seemed like they were a go-to at the beginning. I I don't have an answer for that. No, and Mike, you know, we have been behind the scenes with our president, Dan Kelly, involved as well in a number of meetings with Ontario officials about this over a number of months. So we've been fighting for this, and I would think at this point that, yes, governments move slowly, but you got to beat to the drum of the people, and the people want faster action. Governments have to move more quickly. Whatever they need to do, whether it's reallocating people from one ministry to another or changing resources, I don't want to tell the government how to do their job, but what I can tell them is that our members are fed up. And we're getting some pretty nasty emails, members that actually want to break the rules because they're desperate and you can't blame them. We don't want them to break the rules and open, but at the same time, we have the utmost of sympathy for them. How do you expect these people to survive? And we have ideas about how businesses can reopen with this whole arsenal of tools that is available to them, including rapid tests, and they should just do it. Get with the program and do it. 
They can call us. We'd be more than happy if they want to test something with our members. More than happy. But this has got to end. Our business is just, they are literally breaking point. This has absolutely got to stop. They've got to let these businesses open safely with a safety plan. And apart from vaccinations, again, let's look at this rapid testing as a means to get people open if they follow certain rules, because that way it's safe. Julie, really appreciate your time today. I know we'll be talking in the future. Keep up the good work. We'll keep on fighting for small and medium-sized businesses, Mike. That's what we do. You know what our saying is? We never give up and we never go away. (laughs) That's our slogan. Well, keep living by those words. Keep (laughs) safe as well. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Bye. Take care. That's Julie Kwasinski from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. If we do get a one-dose summer, a one-shot summer, Let's start picturing what this could be like. And I don't know if there's anybody who wants to picture it more than someone involved in tourism or someone who is involved. And we don't know what tourism will look like, whether it will even be a possibility. They still have to talk about things like vaccine passports. But if we're going to think about what the federal government has started to hype up right now, as one dose summer, then we've got to start thinking, what about something as simple as patios? What about that? What what would that look like? What if we could finally have restaurant dining all over again? And if we're following the footsteps of the United Kingdom, and boy, do we keep watching them closely, they are allowing indoor pubs, And they are allowing movie theaters. So you start looking around. Now, they've really seen numbers come down. They had zero deaths. And for a country that had anything but zero deaths for a long, long time, that's good. And they had that plan laid out well in advance. And so the question becomes, will we wind up following in those shoes? But they have indoor pints. They have movie theaters. So one dose summer. Could that bring all of that for us? Could could we sit outside at Toboggan and, and enjoy the sunshine? Could, could we sit outside at Joe Cool's or even inside if it was too hot to have that luxury? Yes, that's, that's what we want. Joining us right now is Mike Smith from Joe Cool's and Toboggan. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, I'm falling asleep, Mike, with lack of things to do. I cut my lawn every other day. <laughs> so you've got the best-looking lawn on the block. Oh, From yeah. a business yeah. standpoint, you are very well-connected when it comes to what's happening for restaurants in our city. We know that everybody's just kind of been hanging on and waiting. Is it still yeah. hanging on and waiting, or are people expressing kind of different viewpoints? I think they've lulled everybody to sleep. I think people have forgotten how to work, Mike. I think, (laughs) will they ever get back to uh, some kind of reality? That's a tough question. Let's hope so. I I think once the green light goes and the floodgates open, yeah, although they won't be floodgates, we'll do this over a, a period of time. But being able to handle 
the reduced business. That is something that has been a major, major issue from the beginning. How is that going? Well, it's funny. I talked to a lot of people and, you know, we can only do takeout and delivery right now. And, you know, I doesn't say fast food restaurants with drive through windows, but what I've talked to everybody, they feel the online and delivery orders are down from the previous lockdowns. You know, I think people tried to support our industry and we sure appreciate it. And people have been very good about that. But I think there comes a time when um, people want the full restaurant experience or at least dine in as opposed to just uh, delivery or takeout. Sure. And I think last year we had served money for those who had not been able to work. Maybe maybe that helped out a little bit. So you are I, seeing deliveries down. So that means that... I think that, you're right on. A, a couple of people said that about the, the people had that served money, whether they deserved it or not. And uh, they had money in their pockets and they don't have as much now. Yeah, we're talking with Mike Smith from Toboggan and Joe Cools, and we're looking at just how things are moving along. So if you reduce the business because you don't have indoor dining, you don't have patios right now, and then you reduce the takeout, there's still rent to pay. There are still employees to pay. There's overhead where just in case you have people coming in, you have to have food and drink in case they're ordering it for pickup. Um, how is that aspect going? Well, you know, our rent's the same. Property taxes actually go up, which is amazing to me. And uh, as you say, electricity costs what electricity costs. And, you know, you tell water costs what water costs. So it's all relative, Mike. I think I, I think people are very frustrated. They're, you know, I'm not an expert, so I don't, and I'm not going to pretend to be, but from what you hear and hearing doctors talk about very, very little is ever transmitted outside. And I think whether it's a golf course or an outdoor patio, people were shocked when uh, they weren't allowed to do that this year. We're talking with Mike Smith and with, with regard to things like property tax and hydro and rent, I mean, we're talking, you know, you look at hydro in, in your own home, you're paying more. You, you have bigger spaces. You look at property tax, you're paying more. You have bigger spaces. Rent, that's bigger than just renting a one or two bedroom apartment. That's bigger dollars. Do we find people are, are just taking on debt in order to make these payments or do you get deferred or anything like that? Well, there's, you know, there's the government subsidies to some degree on things, but it certainly isn't enough. And I think the fact that there's a lot of businesses think when this whole thing's over that we'll just close, that it's been hanging in, you know, that uh, lenders haven't been calling on people and there's been some government protection. But until we get back to whatever the old normal was, uh, business won't be the same. And I think a big concern I have, Mike, is there's still going to be a percentage of the population that will be nervous about going out that went out before. So I don't think things will return to full numbers even when we can fully open. Right. It, it will take time for people to, to believe, yeah, things you know, things you, are okay. You, and we're still trying you, to figure you, out you what it all 19. means. But if there is reduced capacity, you know, we're busy after a night's game. So if, if they reduce capacity at Budweiser Gardens to 50%, well, then there's 50% less people 
that would spill over to existing businesses afterward. So um, my gut feeling, and I hear this from a lot of people in the restaurant business, is governments are somewhat burying their head in the sand on this. It's not going to go away. Uh, remember, we were still in the red zone when we were having, we were down to five cases a day. We should have been at least orange and probably green at that time, and we didn't. And I, I think what concerns a lot of us is, what is the number that they'll let us go back to being fully open? Is it zero? Because zero isn't ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always going to be some variant. And I think the people that are making all these rulings are still getting their full wage, but We've got all these people that haven't got work that have, you know, uh, mortgages or rent to pay on their houses. And uh, um, I don't want to rush it. So I get the caution. But the fact is, you know, I saw a thing where there were 100 cases in one apartment building in Hamilton. Well, that's you look at the lockdown in Toronto now has been seven months. And we're all where's the heavy caseload of cases, Toronto. So I think it shows lockdowns don't work. We want to be cautious. People should wear their masks, not go to uh, events or get together and things that are that are wrong. But the fact is, the lockdowns uh, don't prove to work. Mike Smith joining us from Joe Cools and Toboggan Brewing Company. Mike, one of the things that you've laid out very well before is some of the restriction zones where you can allow this many people inside. You can have 10 people inside. Sometimes that's prompting restaurants to have to bring in more employees. So it's almost, it's, it's not even worth it to do something like that. We're having the Ontario government meet today. Cabinet ministers are meeting. They're discussing what to do with restrictions. There is a hint from the science table. Uh, Dr. Juni has said, hey, maybe we can restore some outdoor activities. What if patios were a part of that? Would that be a case of, hey, this just prompts us to bring in more employees and it's kind of a wash? Or would that be helpful to restaurants right now? Well, we need we need patios big time, Mike. And you know, a day like today when it's chilly wouldn't be busy. But the fact is, patios aren't enough. And there's places with, which that don't have room for patios. But I look at Ontario as the only place in North America where golf courses aren't open. And I don't, you know, I'm not an expert, but I don't think you're getting it on the 16th hole, you know, hitting a golf ball. If you are. You should be staying at home and be very cautious. But the fact <laughs> is, there's mental health. And, you know, there's 13, over 13,000 cancer surgeries that aren't taking place right now. It's You look at the states, you look at Britain, they're starting to get back gradually. And I think the fact is we have to be cautious. But I saw today where there's over 200,000 vaccinations in, in London, Middlesex area. Well, that's our population's about. That's about half our population now. A lot of people haven't got their second shots, but the fact is, um, as vaccinations happen, we have to wean ourselves off this lockdown. Like uh, the tax burden for kids of the future will be ridiculous. Uh, the the jobs for existing people are going away, and I think the fact is, we have to be cautious. Um, one thing I wanted to point out that we never got around to before was there were some incidents in hospitality, but very few. We saw the big caseload in London was university residents. 
you know, long-term care homes, uh, house parties. And the fact is there was very little in hospitality. And it doesn't mean it, we couldn't have a breakout, but our business followed precautionary measures. And then when you had to close at 9 o'clock, people that left went and did house parties. Or we saw people doing St. Patrick's Day parties at homes where they weren't taking the precautions. So I think in some ways, some of these restrictions cause the behavior. If everybody followed the rules, we would get rid of it. But the fact is, people don't follow the rules. People speed in their cars. Some people drink and drive. That People got together in houses when they shouldn't have. And I think as long as you... As long as you put precautions on business, we have to get back to some kind of normalcy. Mike Smith joining us from Toboggan Brewing Company and Joe Cools. And you raise an excellent point, and we had brought this up a little while ago, that the head of the Ontario Tennis Association had essentially been told, look, you are not being shut down. In other words, you're not being told you can't play tennis because tennis is dangerous. We need everybody to stay home. So if if it's in the if it's just part of the message, yeah, we weren't seeing big numbers of cases coming out of restaurants. You weren't seeing an outbreak. Middlesex London Health Unit was not saying, well, restaurant A had a big outbreak or anything like that. There there were precautions in place. You wonder how we would be feeling if they had allowed things like restaurants to stay open and and if if you had allowed us to try and follow the rules. I mean, I guess you have to trust that people will follow the rules and I I don't know, like you say, not everybody's going to do that. Well, that's the thing. And I, I think when you looked at university students, and I heard people complaining about them, but you've got somebody that's 19 years old, and it's been well over a year that they haven't been allowed to do something. I think it's human nature to expect them to socially get together. They shouldn't have. But I think, are you really surprised that after a year, when their age group wasn't really suffering the way people would in long-term care or people with you know, medical difficulties, that how long do you think you will keep them locked up? And I think when they could go into a safe environment where you had to wear a mask, where there was distancing, where uh, standards were adhered to, or the business would be fine, it's a lot safer than some house party. And I think there's no perfect solution. But I think a thing that somebody pointed out to me, Mike, that when do people usually get colds in the flu? Well, they usually get it in the winter. You know, you get the odd one in the summer, but frankly, it's when you're confined and all the windows and doors are shut and you're recirculating the same air with people. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember ever catching a cold wall after a game of golf with somebody. And not meaning you couldn't, but I think it's a lot easier to spread something indoors. And, you know, that, that example of 100 cases in one apartment building in Hamilton the last day is a perfect example you know yeah i'm definitely not catching anything from where i'm hitting the ball from in golf because i'm more apt to catch poison ivy than i am anything else so that's right mike (laughs) you you make some great points thank you so much for always chatting with us about this and, and giving that perspective is there anything other than hey reopening and, and allowing 50% in restaurants or, or giving it that shot. Is there anything else that could help right now? Anything we can do for the restaurant industry? Well, I think you've done a great job asking people to support, and I want to thank customers. And w- one last thing I want to say, Mike, is I don't, I don't 
say I'm an expert, but it's observing things the way everybody else has. And I think um, I don't want to be too controversial on this, but I think the lack of surgery for other operations, how many people aren't being treated for that, mental health, schooling, the fact that we can't just keep on hold forever. We have to gradually phase back. And I want to be cautious about it, but I think certainly opening outside activities and releasing it a bit is what they have to do. I get that they still have to have some restrictions, but I think they sh- it's time to start weaning them off. Mike, thanks again. Keep safe, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one. You too. That's Mike Smith from Toboggan Brewing Company and Joe Cools. And so that is on the table right now as cabinet ministers meet, whether we certainly extend restrictions, but what can be opened again? Could we do patios? Can we trust people to do them properly? What goes into one dose summer? Oh, we still have to be careful. We can have barbecues. We still... I'm sorry, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. That's not cutting it. That's not allowing us to understand anything. What goes into it? What What can we do? And the idea that we have had restaurants closed, and I, I really feel, and I'm, I'm not getting this from anybody in a restaurant, but I really feel that restaurants have been used as a tool, a device. If you close restaurants, it says to people, you can't go out. Just like if you stop them from playing tennis, stop them from playing golf. Is that the right thing to do? Being a human, that's a challenging thing, isn't it? It's a very challenging thing on so many different levels. We, uh, we're hard to please. We really are. And we like to think that we're not hard to please. Ah, you know, I'm, I'm easygoing. I'm this, I'm that. But no, we're, we're hard to please. We have times where things are too much. We have other times where things are not enough. And every once in a while, we may hit on a time when everything is just right. Goldilocks and the Three Bears threw that out there, and every once in a while, you hit it. That porridge is just right. Well, finding that kind of a balance in a pandemic makes things even more challenging. And we are lucky enough to talk with somebody who's been studying links between solitude and wellness. So how much time by yourself is good? How much time is too much? And how do we hit on the porridge is just right? Joining us right now is Dr. Robert Copland, who is a professor in the Department of Psychology at Carleton University. Uh, Well, Rob, it is great to have you here. Thanks for spending some time with us. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. I'm wondering how difficult it is to find that that sweet spot that this porridge is just right spot when it comes to being around people and and not being around people how sensitive are we as humans in that way yeah that's a that's a great question and and it's a pretty good starting point for our discussion so you know long before the pandemic started we have been studying experiences of solitude and you know under different circumstances solitude can be like a really positive rewarding enriching experience for people it can make them feel like they are recharging their batteries they are you know engaging in self-exploration they can you know uh, be more creative they can rejuvenate themselves 
And under other circumstances, it can, you know, it can just be awful, right? You, you can feel, you know, sad and lonely and uh, being by yourself will make you feel ostracized and completely separated from others. And so, you know, you've got the full range of possible responses to being alone. Um, and one of the things that seems to be uh, a primary determinant, what helps us, you know, understand those different experiences is how much control you have over that solitude. So how much of that is a choice you know, how much are you choosing to engage in, uh, you know, time alone? How much are you be able to choose activities that are meaningful for you, that, you know, that you, that you find engaging? Uh, and when you have that kind of control, then it makes, generally speaking, the, the experience more positive. Now, the pandemic, of course, has removed that control for most people, right? So if you are experiencing, you know, lockdown and you are in social isolation, for some people, then you are now alone almost all the time, not at all by choice, right? You've been cut off from opportunities to engage in interactions with people. And of course, that's more likely to make you feel lonely and sad. And we know loneliness basically sucks, right? This is a terrible feeling. It's a terrible experience. And we want to try to avoid that kind of suffering at all costs. But other people because of the pandemic, are now locked down in a situation where they hardly have any time to themselves. Imagine, you know, a young couple both working at home with young children who are learning at home, and then someone who might typically have more control over their experiences of being with others and alone during the day is suddenly thrust into a situation where they can never find a moment to themselves. And that's why we're seeing, I think, a rise in both loneliness and feelings of, you know, negative emotions by being by yourself, but we're also seeing people who are suffering because they're not getting enough solitude. So just like you said in your introduction, right, we're getting a bit too much of too much and a bit too much of too little, and it's much harder to find that just right amount. Dr. Robert Copeland joining us. He is a professor in the Department of Psychology at Carleton University and also the author of The Handbook of Solitude. And like you say, this is something you've been looking at for a while. So has the pandemic has it heightened certain things? Has it changed them completely? Where do we point? Yeah, so, I mean, it's certainly drawn attention to how important it is to understand that balance between, you know, seeking time by yourself and seeking time with others. And as I just mentioned, I think it's really, you know, it's made worth both of those extremes, right? And I think a lot of people are finding perhaps they didn't even realize how important their solitude time was for themselves. Like, Historically, solitude has a pretty bad reputation, and, you know, a lot of it is well-deserved. A lot of people spend too much time alone, and it makes them feel lonely, and loneliness, you know, like I said before, just it, it's not a feeling anybody would want to have. It's, it feels a lot like physical pain, uh, and it's associated with, you know, you know, negative outcomes for our mental health and even our, our physical health. Um, but other people have found that it's the other side of the coin that is the problem for them and that they didn't realize they needed time alone and that missing that time alone also makes them feel uh, unpleasant, you know, grumpy, sad. Um, and so we've been investigating this kind of new idea that it's possible to not have enough time alone. And instead of loneliness, we call it kind of the opposite, aloneliness, which is the experience <laughs> of not getting enough solitude. And we find that both of those things represent kind of like a dissatisfaction with a part of your life. You, you mentioned in the introduction that humans are hard to please. Um, and you're right, you could be dissatisfied with the quality and quantity of your social experiences, but as it turns out, we are also learning you can be dissatisfied with the quality and the quantity of your solitary experiences. Interesting. Okay, so let's look at maybe some tips for dealing with both of them. Let's look at getting that control back if you are finding that you are alone too often. What are some things you can do to maybe allow that control to have you feeling better? 
Yeah. So, I mean, one is it's part of it is just kind of accepting that during this extraordinary set of circumstances, right, that none of us have ever experienced in our lifetime, that it is, you know, these are not regular everyday things. And, you know, certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, people were, were posting social social media, you know, pictures of all the, the bread that they baked or how they, you know, alphabetized their spikes racks or all the extra, you know, activities and hobbies and stuff that they were doing and how wonderful it was to have this extra time. You know, let's be clear that the pandemic is not a time for wonderful experiences, although if you can find some, that's great. It's a time for being okay and coping as best as you can, and that it's okay not to be okay. So I, I would say that would be sort of the first message I would I would send out. And people are going to be feeling lonely because we're cut off from our everyday social activities, even if it's something as simple as chatting with you know, the barista at Starbucks when you order your coffee, you know, on the way to work in the morning or something like that. Those kinds of incidental social experiences, they they make us feel better. And we're missing out on those and everything has to be more planned and organized. So if you are feeling lonely, I mean, the obvious suggestion there is reach out as much as you can to other people. Uh, Obviously, our interactions are going to be more virtual than in in person. Um, But you got to take whatever you can get and don't hesitate to, to try and organize uh, and, and put together those opportunities for social interaction. It's not the same as a face-to-face, it's not the same as a hug, but under these kind of circumstances, we always kind of take what we can get. So reaching out is, is the sort of the obvious thing to suggest on sort of on the lonely side. On the all-lonely side, if you're not feeling like you're not getting, if you're feeling like you're not getting enough time alone, um, not everybody has the time for a two-hour walk in the forest every day, although it might be nice for some people. So instead, I, you know, we're sort of suggesting what we call these kind of micro-moments of solitude, right? So it's okay to just take a breath, step away, go out on your balcony, go into a room, close the door, uh, and allow yourself the opportunity to just have a quick reset, even if it's just for a few minutes, a few times a day. And equally important, communicate with whoever's in your house with you, whether it's your partner or family members or roommates, that this is something that is important to you, that helps you feel better, that helps you cope. Uh, and that, you know, if everyone else in your household happens to be a raging extrovert, they would have no understanding about how important it might be to get some time alone. So it needs to be okay to express those kinds of, of, of desires and emotions. And it needs to be okay to say, sometimes I just need a little time for myself. You mentioned micro moments and those things can be really helpful if you're someone dealing with a loneliness and we're talking with dr robert copland who is a professor in the department of psychology at carlton university how long can a micro moment be how do you how do you get one of those <laughs> yeah that's fair and, and i guess you know you you mentioned this again at the outset is the just right amount for time spent alone or for time spent with others is not a generalization that we can make for everybody right? Everyone is going to have their own personal specific just right amount. And so we have to be really wary when people say things like, generally speaking, people should be spending three hours a day alone and four (laughs) hours a day interacting with other people. It's just not true. Okay, so depending on your own experiences, your own personality characteristics, other aspects of, you know, how you like to experience your time, everyone is going to have that just right amount. Uh, And that it's really like trial and error at the outset for trying to figure out how much is going to sort of satisfy, you know, that balance that you need to do between spending time with others and spending time alone. So under circumstances where you have a little bit more control, now the pandemic may not be the ideal setting for this, but we typically suggest that people kind of keep track of their time that they spend interacting with others and their time alone over a period of a week and, you know, open a little diary and, and just, you know, 
make note of how much time you're spending under what circumstances and how you're feeling immediately before, during, and after these experiences. And you might start to see a pattern where your mood starts to, you know, improve or worsen depending upon how you're able to balance those social and solitary times. And then it's, like I said, trial and error. You just start to adjust it until you find what for you personally is the right balance. As much as this pandemic has been so hard and in some ways so dangerous and in other ways absolutely tragic, we are still giving ourselves opportunities to do some checkups on things that we've probably never even considered before. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. It's it's definitely a time for reflection uh, and you know heightened self understanding and really you know understanding the priority of self care, right? Which is something that is very easy to let slip through our fingers and not focus on when we're so busy with every day. This has been an enforced slowdown for a lot of people. And you're right, it is in some ways a unique opportunity to really better understand our own personal needs and how we can help uh, to build that self-care skills for ourselves. Well, Rob, we really appreciate you taking some time for us today. Great stuff and continued success in your work. Keep safe. Thank you so much, Mike. That's Dr. Robert Copland. He's a professor in the Department of Psychology at Carleton University, looking at the fact that, yes, you can feel lonely, but you can also suffer from or experience aloneliness, as he calls it, where you need some time away. And what a great description. You look at a young family, kids are home, learning from home. It's difficult to get time away for yourself in those little micro moments. Go and take a walk around the block. You know, Close the bathroom door. Things like that can actually be so therapeutic because it just gives you that break from everything. And again, as, as Dr. Coplin points out, well, it depends who you are and, and what you like. Some people like to go out and party four nights in a row. Others, they get half a night and say, yeah, I'm good. I'm good for another month. That's it for me. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3 